1: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi everyone, this is Felicity. And this is Candace. Before we start this episode, just want to jump in and let you know that this content is sponsored by Fidelity. Fidelity. Enjoy.
2: Talk money to me.
3: Hello and welcome to Talk Money To Me. This is your financial podcast where we explore the markets, investable ideas, and chat to leading industry experts to help you manage your wealth. I'm Candice Burke. And I'm Felicity Thomas. Thanks so much for tuning in today.
1: Now we're gonna be sitting with James Abella, the co-portfolio manager of Fidelity's Global Future Leaders Fund. Now, a bit of background on James. Prior to Fidelity, James worked as a portfolio manager and investment analyst for four years at Constellation Capital Management, covering the consumer staples and consumer discretionary sectors. James has also worked for BNP Equities for three years as a research analyst, covering food and alcohol, as well as diversified industrials. His professional career began in 1995 at Ernest & Young as a senior consultant, accountant and tax advisor.
3: He's been the Portfolio Manager for the Fidelity Future Leaders Fund since 2013, which has seen his unique investment process win the 2018, 2019 and 2020 Morningstar Fund Manager of the Year Award for Domestic Equity Small Cap Category. And then bring it forward to 2020, James was appointed Co-Portfolio Manager of the Fidelity Global Futures Leader Fund. So well done, James, to you and your team on those achievements to date.
1: Really fantastic. Now, a quick look at the fund itself before we get into our conversation with James about the global investment opportunities he's seen at the moment. Now, the fund has ticked over its three-year track record in September, delivering 10.35% per annum over that period after fees. The fund is also recommended by Zenith and the fund has two co-portfolio managers, which you can actually listen to Maroon's interview on the Mates Network.
3: Definitely recommend you check that also out. Now, the fund is a diversified portfolio of 40 to 70 small to mid-cap global companies seeking to invest in global large caps for tomorrow. So, finding the next big idea, which we're really excited about. As a quick reminder, our conversation today is not considered personal advice, even though we are registered financial advisors at and Partners. As always, guys, you know the drill. This podcast and the content discussed does not constitute as financial advice, nor is it a financial product. Everything discussed is based on the facts known at the time of recording being the 14th of September, 2023. Now with that out of the way, let's jump into our conversation with James.
1: So welcome James to Talk Money To Me. We're so
3: excited to have you on the show today.
4: Thanks, Felicity.
1: Now it's very topical at the moment that small to mid cap stocks are presenting significant value. So, can you provide an overview of the Fidelity Global Future Leaders Fund and its investment objectives?
4: yep sure. Look, it's a uh, it's the benchmark is MSCI World Mid Cap Index. Uh, it's, it's stocks in there about forty to seventy stocks. The market cap range is about one billion to about thirty billion US, and it looks at opportunities right across the world. So, it's mainly US, but it's US, Europe, and Japan. Um, and we have a pretty vanilla sort of profile um, stocks. The big bets are sort of 5% bets. Industries, we move uh, up and down 10%. Countries, plus or minus 15 And we don't own thermal coal and uh, tobacco and cluster munitions for all those sort of ESG type rules. Um, but look, it's, it's really um, great blended style. We have what I call quality stocks, which are what I call beautiful compounders, value-based turnarounds, which we call special situations, Those momentum stocks also that can be cyclical winners or thematic winners, Um, but as a global fund, the breadth and depth of opportunity is really significant and that's what really excites us about this opportunity for clients.
3: Yeah, so it sounds like you've really got a broad stroke there, which is fantastic in the global asset allocation class. So you touched on there that you don't touch thermal coal. So I guess what companies and industries and sectors does the fund primarily focus on and why are they your key areas?
4: Yeah. So primarily those, those beautiful compounders are in certain categories, which I'll touch on. And then those kind of cyclical winners tend to be in certain categories. So that's really where um, you kind of mix the themes and the sectors and why that's the case. So beautiful compounders tend to come in technology, uh, consumer, financials, and healthcare. Whereas those cyclicals tend to come from energy resources um, and sometimes financials uh, depending on the cycle. So that tends to be where Those, um, I guess, sector focuses and trends and themes tend to come together in terms of sector exposures.
1: So we all like to know on Talk Money To Me how you actually find and identify these really good ideas. So James, how does the fund identify and evaluate potential global future leaders in the market? So
4: we've got a pretty structured process that really tries to get rid of, I guess, things that we think are very high risk or very significant um, negative outcomes. So um, our stage one is is quality screening. We focus on uh, cash flow return on investment, so CFROI and ROEs, uh, return on equity. We screen out things that are very high debt, very poor, very low persistence um, and sort of those loss making ones where we don't see a future. then our next stage is really looking at Fidelity Network, uh, looking at all the best ideas, long-term winners, buy-rated stocks, and really using the whole global platform, which is 170 analysts around the world, um, and they really help us try and make the better decision. That's really the key of going from 4,000 stocks down to about you know 200 uh, or so. Um, From there, we use what we call VSC scoring, so viability, sustainability, and credibility. So we assess that viability is about returns, sustainability is really about duration, and credibility is really a factor group about trusts, trusting yourself, trusting the accounts, trusting management. So we look at those, those three factors in particular in order to get down from around 200 to around 100. Then we actually give them a classification in our mind, which we call QVTM at the portfolio level. So quality, value, transition, or momentum. And this is really a risk return framework because our minds as investors are very anchored to these concepts as human beings who follow stories But also investors who follow numbers. Um, And we're trying to match up that storytelling versus the numbers or the art and the science. And we do that through this risk paradigm we call QVTM. And that really allows us to think about the portfolio risk. From there, we do a valuation review and then we really make a decision whether we make it, we don't invest or it's a 1% position, 2% position, or 3% position. Um, And that's how we really go through to try to find, you know, the next Apple or the next, um, you know, future leader of tomorrow.
3: Don't you just love all the acronyms (laughs) and financial (laughs) jargon, right? So thank you so much for breaking it down for us and our listeners. I guess on that, you really just kind of explored the methodology, which sets you apart from other managers. But we know it's a crowded space, particularly in your asset class. So I guess the question here is, we'd love to hear uh, any recent numbers, if you can talk about it with the fund that you've hit, because we've had a shocking August and pretty dismal start to September for this month in terms of investment returns. So what else sets you aside, would you say, from a very crowded space in this asset allocation?
4: Yeah, look, it's a great question. Definitely the the VSC, as I mentioned, the acronym Viability, Sustainability and Credibility and the and which is the Portfolio Construction. So those two levels are all about risk and return. So that is really what sets us apart. So yeah, it has been, a, look, it hasn't been a normal three years at all. So the, the fund comes up with three-year history um, just now and the three years have not been normal. We've had a pandemic, we've had free money, we've had a massive momentum rally and then we had a big value rally. And now we've kind of got a quality rally and then we've got kind of, is there a recession or not? Who knows? But what sets us apart and how we've been able to navigate this incredibly volatile world has been through those two risk layers. So when we look at the risk metrics compared to our peers, that's what really sets us apart. And you can see it in the return. So we've got a top quartile return, absolute um, level and also the relative level. Our information ratio is positive, our beta is below one, our tracking error is is bottom quartile, and the drawdown is also bottom quartile. So we've got top quartile return metrics and bottom quartile risk metrics. So the risk metrics, standard deviation, sharp ratio, beta, tracking error, and drawdown, they've all been really bottom quartile. And the top quartile is the return uh, and the information ratio. So that for us, I can actually see the process working when you look at this set of numbers. So you can't just see it in the straight return, but when you look at across the risk return paradigm um, in that respect, and that's what really gets me excited. And I've run the Aussie fund for 10 years, global fund for now three years. And both funds, you can see that the risk return is, is actually what sets us apart from the, from the group.
1: That is exactly what we like to hear on Talk Money to Me. So I guess this kind of leads into our next question then. How do you and the fund adapt its strategy in response to changing market conditions or economic trends? I mean, are you factoring in a recession? We keep hearing soft landing, no landing, hard landing. What are your comments and thoughts around that?
4: Yeah, look, what we try to do is try to stay away from trying to make macro bets. It's very, very difficult. Try to stay fundamental. That's why the, the viability, sustainability, credibility process is very, very fundamental. But the macro factor and the macro movements affect valuations a lot. So you do need to think about valuation when you do think about macro risk and you do need to adjust our strategy. That's why we have the QVTM actually has a strategic asset allocation, but it has a tactical 10% swing within each percentage. So it is 40%, 30%, 20%, 10% as you go from Q, quality, value, transition, momentum. With a 10% tactical tilt, which allows you to reflect the market's movement, reflect the market sentiment, and the valuation settings within each of those kind of categories, or the sentiment shifts, or the theme across the market. Some examples of where we've used that in the COVID crisis and the COVID sort of madness in certain categories. Peloton was a stock that we watched. It went up nearly 10 times from the bottom during COVID. The assumption was that we're going to work from home forever was kind of what was extrapolated, but also then Google and other providers provided competition for Peloton and that really exciting concept, which again, concepts come through the world all the time. Every minute of the day, a business is coming up with a new idea. Peloton was actually, it was a pretty amazing idea. And in COVID, it was the of the perfect purple patch for it. So it went up 10x, Um, but as the world normalized that stock went down 90 percent so that was a classic like momentum trade that kind of was very hot and then it's become very cold zoom was another one plug power was another one which is esg kind of cool docusign hellofresh shopify zscaler and logitech all these stocks were up huge amounts and came off really quickly so for us, our process, we try to adjust for that kind of momentum themes, but also valuation. And that for us is, is very, very important. Again, comes back to the other question of when you look at risk and return outcomes, um, you do need to be adjusting your view as the market goes through different cycles.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny that you say that. It's been during COVID, everyone really thought they were a portfolio manager or a, or a professional investor. Yes. Um, but I think it's times like, you know, the last couple of years when things really did change that it sets active fund managers uh, aside from, you know, your everyday investor.
4: Yeah. And it's not and it changes every single day. Um, uh, evaluations change, cost of money changes, like we did interest rates, inflation, sentiment Um all these things change very, very quickly. And even a change in management and change in management attitude or a silly acquisition can change your whole mentality of your one of your investments or one of your you know investments in a company.
3: And that's why you've really got to stay on top of it. So I guess coming back to your due diligence and research team there with your analysts at Fidelity, you've gone through a lot about the bull cases and what you look for in the screening process. But I'd love to hear... I guess your red flags you do not touch you know walk us through that do you have like a screening process and, and how actively are you updating that because it is really volatile at the moment right
4: definitely it's it look it's very very volatile um more so than normal now. and it's very very fundamental and the dispersion in stock outcomes is just is just enormous so we've had stocks that are up 70 or 80 percent in the last two or three months and some that are the opposite are down 70 80 um Red flags for us, uh, as we go through the process, like on returns, you want something that's high return, but not super high returns, um, because that generally gets competed away, um, or you can get management arrogance or you can get complacency. And that, that is a red flag, um, complacency on that returns. Something that's very, very low returns, um, or it's losses year after year after year, and we don't see a a point where it recovers. That's another red flag. So when you go into sustainability in a very poor ESG, very poor manager reputation in the industry, that's also a very big red flag or something that's very not persistent. So something that you have really, really good years and they have really, really terrible years where things nearly go bankrupt. That's a red flag for us. It's just there's no persistency in the return profile. Um, And the last one on credibility, it is management credibility being poor is a big red flag, accounting quality being very poor is a big red flag, Um, balance sheets looking really terrible is a big red flag, and then not actually being able to verify if what management is saying is actually true in the real world. So, that's what we call the verification check and if that's a red flag, then we generally won't touch it. Like I said, there's lots of great stories out there, some brilliant storytellers. um, there are movies made of some that were worth tens of billions of dollars and then two years later were worth nothing. And so a lot of these red flags you've got to have in your mind and have your memory. And much like any, any activity, you've got to have muscle reflexes. Where as soon as you see it, you've got to react straight away and you've got to train your brain to actually see the red flag and very quickly um, think, okay, crisis risk or, or panic risk or investment risk. And then you've got to step away, much like, you know, in a karate or in a critical medical situation. um, And you've got to train your brain to think red flag, danger, exit, move, react. Um, And you've got to train your brain to just do that, you know, very quickly. And when you're trying to scan for us 1,000 or 4,000 stocks, using your training your brain on red flags is a critical part of the process of of filtering down into things that you believe in.
3: I love that, you know, mental fitness for your investment portfolio is fantastic. It is, it is very much, yeah, it's very much 100%. We all need to do it because it is easy to become complacent and that's why you're saying, you know, the numbers say something on a screen or a report, but you've really got to sit down with the managers and the executive team, which I'm sure you and your team do on a regular basis. So just one quick follow up here, James, before we move on. You mentioned, you know, stocks that are just ripping, you know, 50, 70% in a short duration. So obviously that's going to blight your asset allocation or your single stock exposure there in that company. And we know small to mid caps do move quick. So how do you react to that? Are you quick to trim profits or just let it run?
4: It's a look, it's a great question and it's not an easy one, like there's no black and white rule. You've got to look at, I guess, a series of valuation parameters. So letting your winners run is generally a good thing. Um, but again, you don't want to get too cocky, too arrogant and let them go until they're very, very expensive. And then you have some sort of just the slightest bit of hesitation or disappointment from the market and then stocks can halve. So it's, for example, a quality stock that our risk is falling in love with them. Um, you fall in love with a quality stock at 1% free cash flow yield, a high quality, beautiful combat, it doesn't matter how much you love it, how beautiful the numbers are, at 1% free cash flow yield, the risks are incredibly high. Um, and so that's when you would trim your winner. Um, whereas if you have a, a, a stock that's done quite well, but the free cash flow or the cash free cash flow yields are still growing, um, and the free cash flow yields are still between say 2 and 3% as a quality stock, um, then that for, that for us is fine. On the momentum side or value side even, you look more at price to book. You've got to actually just forget about earnings because the earnings are so so cyclical. You've got to go back to the book value and that's where your price to book can go from say one to about three to three and a half times in momentum or value. Um, and That's pretty much the entire range of what we call that triangle of value, transition, and momentum, and that kind of beautiful cyclical triangle basically goes through that. But once it's got to there, what I call peak, 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 and it's like like I make the analogy to nightclub, so you get peak earnings peak sentiment, um, and peak valuation. And once you hit that peak, it is like a nightclub where everyone's on the dance floor. and the, Boom,
3: boom, boom. Yeah,
4: boom, boom, boom. The music's pumping. It all looks perfect uh, in terms of a, a, a sort of a consensus party. Um, but then as soon as that, you know, turns off and you want to start running, um, everyone else is going to be running as well. So you've got to be very careful of those momentum trades. That's why there's definitely two sides of it. One's quality your quality paradigm and then ones on your momentum value paradigm
3: because the crowd can do a lot of damage right when the herd moves
4: yes when it moves it's like a herd and like it's like there's lots of you know books written on on herds and if you're in the middle of the herd and and the herd shifts you can get crushed in the middle But if you're on the edge because you're like i said you're aware of the red flags and you can actually see what's happening you have the ability to move um But if you're in the middle of the herd and you're slow, you'll get crushed. Um, And it's the same as a stock. If you're running, 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 and it's all cool, it's all cool, and then something happens and the stock halves and you're last out, you've lost half your money. Um, So it's really... It's very like those animal spirits risks uh, that you've got to be aware of in that momentum value sort of triangle, Um, whereas quality, it's more about falling in love and just being aware of yourself and then sort of trimming and taking a bit off the table.
1: That's funny. So basically don't be caught on the dance floor with the music off and the lights on is basically what you're saying.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It's never a good look. It's never a good look. The reality kicks in. Yes. Now on Talk Money To Me, we love discussing investable ideas, stock Tips right, so in a moment, we're going to be hearing James's top stock ideas and delve deeper into the outlook for the mid to small cap global space.
1: All right, James, this is what we've all been waiting for. Can you share some success stories or some notable investments made by the fund?
4: So over the last look, three years, I'll just tell you some of the big positions that we've really done well in. And that a lot of that is energy. Uh, we really bought energy about two years ago uh, when oil was really out of favour. And a lot of those stocks actually, like some of them went up 300%. Um, so things like Shania uh, and Devon um, and that's what, and, and Texas specific group as well, which actually went from a trust to a company. So these three names were a significant tr- contributor to the fund because it bought those stocks out of favor and they became basically in favor as the world normalized. They had some of them had fundamental improvements in their earnings profile. So um, they're, they're Chenier, Devon, and Texas specific group. Those stocks are no longer in the portfolio. So they're the stocks that have done well historically. Um, another group is really tech companies. So things like Arista. Um, and then also insurance companies. They're ones that have done well. Today, I guess the ones that are in our top 10, they're on... On the website and they're ones that we feel very comfortable about uh quanta is our biggest position that one is a industrial services company um it works uh, for companies that are developing say the new energy environment or the transition metals environment uh Moncler is also one of our larger ones luxury goods it has three or four thousand euro jackets for really luxury and skiing uh which again has very high returns very uh, sort of status symbol type demeanor in terms of consumers buying that product. The other ones are really, I guess, just insurance companies that have done really well in the insurance hardening cycle. So that just gives you a broad kind of view on uh, what's in our top 10. And the other ones are things like IDEX and Amatec, which are industrials, which again, they're in small niches, they have good returns, they're captive because they've got very critical sort of elements uh, of their All the products are critical elements in their in their end markets.
1: Yeah, what I really love about your fund is that you're investing in companies that not a lot of listeners would have heard of. I mean, we haven't heard of a lot of these companies. You're not talking about your Apple or your Nvidia or your Amazon. You're really trying to find the next big thing. So I suppose with maybe your top three ideas in the fund, are there any upcoming catalysts that investors should be aware of? There's
4: not real like time sensitive catalysts. It's very much long duration investments. They've got good earnings outlook. They're what we call structural winners or cyclical winners. So they are what we call beautiful compounders, um, I guess. So things like Quanta is a beautiful compounder. Um, Moncler is also, and those other ones that are in either financials or industrials are good quality businesses. And we just expect them to deliver sort of 10 to 15% growth year after year after year. And they're in Good market structures yeah, where they're in markets and their customers really respect what the product provides uh, for their client. Uh, so for us, yeah, they're very much, I guess, more slow and steady. They're not like huge time sensitive sort of this quarter or this announcement or this innovation is going to really lift it up. And they're really steady compounders. That's what the, you know, the bulk of the top 10 is really focused on that.
3: And they're the ones that are just no brainers. You want to put in the bottom of your drawer as an investor and just see how they compound over time. So that makes a lot of sense. I guess with that mentality moving forward, I guess what broader trends or challenges are you seeing, you know, when you go out and talk to companies, which would impact the fund's performance moving forward. Like a lot of topical conversation is AI, AI, AI. Even if a company just says it in their mission statement once, share price pops. So is that a challenge or an opportunity, would you say, for you?
4: So one of our stocks that are in the fund has an AI innovation that just won some an award from what, the AI Institute. So that one was definitely interesting and definitely related to AI. AI is mainly up in sort of mega cap land because the scale of the investment required to be a leader in artificial intelligence world um, tends to be, you know, those hundred billion dollar companies and above. Uh, But there are suppliers, there are component providers, there are software companies that have AI tech built into uh, what they do. So that company I mentioned is NICE, N-I-C-E. Not a recommendation, but sort of alert that this is a software company, but it actually has AI related to them. Going broader, macro uncertainty. Um, it's still one of the big things, uh, but there are very few kind of easy themes. You mentioned AI as a theme, um, but again, it's not an easy way to get exposure or even easy to understand what it means. AI is a cool theme, but doesn't mean you get earnings and that's really a bit of a debate. Uh, So there are very few kind of easy themes at the moment, um, that are very easy to say, okay, that's a theme. So you go and buy that. General risks are really high. So inflation is a risk, costs are a risk, debt servicing costs are a risk and recession risks are still in people's heads. They're definitely dulled down. Um, but in terms of the the general media and the general investment environment, recession risks are still there. So the three year performance has been really strong. Um, and so we're pretty happy with the fact that we've navigated a lot of different challenges over the last three years. Um, and that's been you know really good performance for clients over the last three years.
3: So just on that, if I can probe you to get a probability factor, What do you think the likelihood of the US going to recession is?
4: Yeah, hard to always give a hard number. At the moment, a lot of the data is saying it's quite high. But if you talk to companies, you you don't get that feeling. You don't get a signal that they're pulling back on investment. So, you know, PMI data and macro data is all quite negative. But when you talk to companies, they're all continuing to invest, there's a little bit of like unemployment trending upwards. And that's the only real signal of, of sort of investment decline. But in terms of CapEx, um, other confidence of management, it, it isn't there. So um, yeah, to give you a number hard, but it's just going straight to the companies. Uh, you just don't feel like it's actually high.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and you're a true global manager, so it's looking at everywhere at the moment, right? So I think I just want to highlight the fund's performance. So we've noticed since inception, which was September 2020, the fund has actually performed 11.88% per annum, beating the benchmark by 1.54%, which is fantastic. And this last year's performance has been an amazing 6.42%. So I just want to highlight that because you've done very well in what I would call quite a testing and trying time in market. So you did mention earlier that, you know, because we know small caps move quickly one way or the other. So what I want to discuss now is what do you do with your losers? I mean, do you say a really good company has actually been sold off about 60, 70 percent? Do you double down here or do you cut your losses? What do you do here with regards to risk is what I'm kind of getting at.
4: Yeah, it's a very, it's a very good question. Like the other one before, it's um, you've got to really think why. So the first question is why. Think about our process. Think about our risk management. You go back to the same thing. Look, go back to cash flows. Okay, go back to cash flows. Look at what's happened. If that free cash flow dollar is starting to decline. Your thesis may have broken if there's a silly acquisition, for example, and the market doesn't like it, which is, say, a lower ROE, a lower return on equity, and the market's derating the multiple of that stock, and that's why it's fallen, probably your thesis is broken. Uh, If management's doing something very risky or, in the market's view, very debilitating in terms of the market's confidence – that you know, may mean your thesis is broken. In those instances, we would sell. On the positive side, if it is just sentiment, if it's purely multiple, so as in the sentiment has shifted away to the negative, earnings haven't moved, cash flows haven't moved, the market structure hasn't moved, the competitive threat hasn't increased, then we'll probably either sit it out or, or add more, which we have done in the past. Um, so it really is basically that there is basically path one or path two, um, but there are typically very clear signals to tell you which path you should go down.
1: Yeah. I mean, we're seeing this a lot. Some really good companies have been oversold, especially in the small to mid cap space. And we're just like, you know, it doesn't make sense that this business has been sold off so much. So we're seeing it as such a good buying opportunity. So it's good to see that you have that kind of risk management uh, process as well.
4: Yeah. It's, look, it's very important because it's very volatile out there and things move for all different reasons, as I mentioned, macro, risk, inflation, recession, fees. Um, like US housing, for example, we owned. We were, we were investors in the US housing market. Um, a lot of the stocks fell 20 or 30% and then they rebounded nearly 50% up.
3: Yeah, that was incredible.
4: Yeah, the market moved its duration really short and then within about three months, like, no, actually, it's going to be okay. Next year's looking much better. And then the duration went out much further. So sentiment shifts um, can be quite rapid on both sides, uh,
3: to, to the negative to, or to the positive. But it can be to the investor's advantage, right? Advantage,
4: yeah, that's right. That's why I say you've got to be ha- having muscle reflexes. And we, we run data every single month to make sure we're on top of earnings and valuations and any shifts in analyst views. Um, and that's how we keep on top of uh, any changes you know on a regular basis.
3: I love a good spreadsheet so I'm sure you've got <laughs> really impressive ones <laughs> <They'd> be, yes <laughs> there's <laughs> me showing my financial nerd moment now look another bear a bear topic at the moment is China so you've talked about inflation you know higher cost of business moving forward, recessionary risks they're all kind of priced in we would argue and obviously the China data and slower recovery is still getting, priced into the market, because we know that they're a big player on the global scale. So, you know, it does really trickle into different geographies and sectors. So I guess, what are your thoughts around China? Are you a bear or kind of optimistic in in that perspective?
4: Look, it's a good question. It's definitely very, very topical. For us, we have very little China exposure, direct or indirect um, the direct exposures we don't have, which is mainly resources, particularly iron ore, uh, we don't have any of that exposures. Material is actually a very small part of this index uh, and we don't have any iron ore exposure, which we think is probably the riskiest point, just knowing the Australian resources environment and, and iron ore stocks here. The indirect ones are really consumer. So uh, Montclair was one where a lot of their growth was was going into China. And uh, that was the view of, of that stock over the years. And that's it's actually been okay, and we used to own Li Ning, but we've actually exited that a number of months ago. Um, so we don't have any any sort of direct or indirect Chinese exposure that concerns us, I guess, at this point. But it is a lot of there's a lot of concerning information out there, um, property in particular, um, and the sort of you know, China recovery on and off, that kind of shift is, is obviously very difficult for different stocks. But like I said, we just have very little exposure there at the moment.
1: Okay, that's really interesting and probably good for investors to know. So here on Talk Money To Me, full of good questions. So James, what are your bold predictions about the markets in the coming months as 2023 actually draws to a close?
4: The Last six months I think has been quite positive. The market's shifted its head I think a lot more positive in terms of structurally thinking positively. So moving upward I think the risks are much finely balanced now in terms of recession risks. Um, the the data is still looming that there is potential risk around the corner. So we are very conscious of, of that macro sort of concern. Uh, but uh, the market seems to be moving through it at the moment, as in being more constructive, but that is the, um, I guess, the the dichotomy of the market right now that you need to be really careful of. So the market sort of started to look through. Um, The question is, is that right? At the moment, it has been right. Actual company data has been okay, but the macro data is saying something different. So you need to, I guess, balance up those two views, um, and that for me is is kind of what, what the mindset is right now of investors.
1: Okay. So the market is going higher and we should be looking at the small, smaller end of town now. Is that what you're kind of saying? Small
4: caps, I think, has already started to look through and, yeah, started to move up and, and, and I guess, expect the recovery. So that, I think, is probably what we're likely to continue unless there is something that breaks that. Um, and that's where if, if that macro data does come and kind of knock that enthusiasm on its head, um, that's what you need to be careful of. But in our view, yeah, the underlying earnings, especially in the US, I mean, Maroon and I sat with two strategists um, just last week And both of them said, look, the US, uh, basically 70% of industries are showing green in terms of upgrades versus downgrades, um, a significant contrast to the Australian market where 90% of the of the earnings are actually downgrades um, in terms of the last four to 13 weeks. But in terms of um, the US, it's, it's, you know, much more positive. So that's the thing. I think that is the thing that the US is going to actually lead, lead the world basically out of um, the negative sort of paradigm of mindset of earnings. And that's really what we see. So for us, that's probably what we can see. And I feel more comfortable about talking about that.
1: Yeah, that's great. That sounds positive. And so we've got one more question for you. We know that per- Parents don't like to have a favourite child or can't name a favourite child, even if they have one, but what would be your favourite company within your top ten? Uh,
4: it's hard to pick favourites. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just say, look, technology is probably the biggest one. I mean, picking one stock is just one stock, but the technology universe for me is definitely the most exciting thing and we have a quarter of the fun in the technology universe. Um now technology is all pervasive. There's software, there's hardware, there's technology innovation. As, as human beings in the world, there's so much in the world, there's so much uncertainty in the world. But one thing's for certain is we all want to be more productive, more connected, um, and that productivity extends in our personal life um, and in our corporate life and in the government government world. And then being connected to other human beings is, is critical for us as human beings. Um, so for me, that kind of paradigm Um, it doesn't matter what any age you are those paradigms are going to be in place so for me the technology space is definitely the most exciting thing that we are very passionate about Um, and that's why a core of a fund is in technology right now will probably stay like that uh, for the fund's life
1: we definitely agree here we know some things are for certain death taxes and technological advancement over the years
3: i'm waiting for my ai co-pilot like let's bring it on right that's it absolutely i want lots of co-pilots um
1: so thank you so much james for joining us today here on
3: talk money to me great thanks very much if any of our listeners would like to learn more about the fidelity global future leaders fund please head to their website which is fidelity.com.au Now, as we sign off, guys, please remember, although Felicity and I are financial advisors at and Partners, as always, today's discussion does not constitute as personal financial advice. As always, go out and seek your own professional advice before you make your investment decisions. Everything is known at the time of recording, which is the 14th of September, 2023.
1: Thank you so much, James, for joining us today here on Talk Money to Me. That was a very interesting conversation, so relevant in these times. Now, make sure you follow us on at Talk Money To Me podcast for daily market updates. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure you give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And remember, if you've got any questions, you can contact us, tmtm at equitymates.com. We'll be back next
2: week. Until next time, see you then. Talk Money To Me is a product of Equitymates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equity Mates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Talk Money to Me are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equitymates Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act to 2001 in respect of any information or advice given before making any financial decisions you should read the product disclosure statement and if necessary consult a licensed financial professional do not take financial advice from a podcast for more information head to the disclaimer page on the equity mates website where you can find the ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you in the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the host of Talk Money to Me acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.
1: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.